Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on this next episode of the UDOT Cottonwood Canyons podcast series. I'm Lisa Miller with UDOT, and my amazing co-host, Matt Allred, is also with UDOT. Hi, Matt. Hi, Lisa. It's good to be here again. And hey, let's switch things up just a little bit this week. I'm going to have you run the show if that's okay with you. I'm going to try to do my best, but you you know, you know, really leave big shoes to fill. So, well, um, it's all right. Take, take it away. You got this one. I'll start by introducing Josh Vandura. Hi, Josh. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me again. And Vince Izzo is also with us. Hi, Vince. Hi. And Vince and Josh are with the Little Cottonwood Canyon EIS, our Environmental Impact Statement project team. And they're here to help us understand some of the strategies the project team is looking at to help manage traffic and encourage transit use for all of the alternatives and discuss some of the bus alternatives as well. So let's dive right in. How do you get more people on transit? So this is a great question. And we've obviously been working with UTA really closely throughout this entire project. And the one thing we've heard is the most effective way to get people to change their travel mode is really to reduce the seat time in that transit mode and make it as close as possible to what it would be in a private vehicle. But the other part of that is an increased frequency of service. So the longer the time between a bus or a train or a gondola arrives, the less likely you are to take it because you have to plan your trip. So really reducing the seat time and increasing the frequency are the two most effective ways to get people to switch that mode. And of course, we're looking at other strategies such as subsidizing those fares, tolling, or occupancy restrictions. Now, before we get into the details of bus alternatives, can you tell us about the strategies the EIS or Environmental Impact Statement is looking at to really encourage travelers to make that shift? So like I mentioned, we're looking at both tolling or occupancy restrictions combined with subsidizing the fares, and it's really trade-offs for the traveling public. As you probably know, the UTA bus service today is subsidized to reduce the fare and make it more attractive to those potential riders. But we're also looking at tolling or occupancy restrictions. And I want to stress that neither of these would actually go into effect until there was an alternative that got people up the canyon without having to be subjected to that toll or occupancy restrictions. And this would be a variable pricing or congestion model if it was tolling. And that basically means that it would only be in effect during periods of high demand. So a random Tuesday at 2 p.m., there would likely be no toll. But say the Saturday of President's Day, again, a high demand period, there would be a toll instituted. The other thing that we're looking at is occupancy restrictions, similar to the HOV lane on I-15, where it's a two-plus situation. So, Josh, I want to go. I want to go back to the tolling. Like you, you mentioned occupancy, but I'm really interested in the tolling here. Um, a lot of the people that go up the canyon plan for what they're going to spend that day. How do I know what the toll is going to be? So, Matt, we don't actually know what the toll is going to be right now, but just for the sake of an example, let's say the toll is $20 during these high congestion periods. 
So again, low congestion periods, lower canyon, there would be no toll. But say the Saturday of President's Day weekend, or even last Saturday, a toll of $20 is expected. And if we weren't getting that diversion that to the transit that we were hoping, the toll would then go up to, say, five additional dollars, so say $25. On the other hand, if we were getting more diversion than expected, maybe $20 is too high of a toll and we might reduce it by $5 for the remainder of the day, taking it down to $15, for example. So I hope that explains that a little bit better. Again, I want to emphasize we don't know what the appropriate toll is, and it's going to be a little bit of trial and error once the system is up and running to find what toll gets the diversion rate needed to make the roadway stable. Yeah, that that makes a little more sense to me now. One of the things I'm thinking too, Josh, is that it, there are a couple canyons across the Wasatch Front that actually use tolling when we go in or out of those canyons. Is this going to operate the same way where there's a booth or I pay going in or pay going out? Exactly how is the tolling going to operate? It's likely going to be different than Mill Creek or American Fork, like you mentioned. So both of those are actual toll booths. So in Little Cottonwood, we are not considering a full-time toll, if you will. And the problem with the toll booth is it actually requires every car to stop, which is just going to lead to more congestion. So the system would be electronic, allowing vehicles to seamlessly pass through without having to reduce their speed and cause that additional congestion. And honestly, it's probably going to be similar to the toll collection system that's utilized on the I-15 HOV lanes. So the option of having a transponder on your dash, but because of um, out-of-state travelers or rental vehicles, there's likely going to be a license plate reader system or potentially a mobile app. So again, we just don't know at this point, but likely there would be a transponder system at a minimum, similar to that on I-15. Yeah, Josh, we have a lot of technology and transportation pretty much all over the entire nation. But here in Utah, we have a lot of great availability for that, too. Sounds pretty, pretty great. Um, Vince, we've got a couple of burning questions we want to ask you. Can you talk to us about the EIS? Is it going to be considering summer transit service or is this just kind of a wintertime thing? The EIS is not considering summer transit to improve mobility in the canyon. There's just no substantial mobility issues that occurred during the summer months as no defined busy travel periods exist that cause, you know, reduced mobility in Little Cottonwood Canyon. This is different in the winter because during the winter we have busy travel periods that are associated with the opening and closing of the lifts. You know, although we've gotten many comments that, you know, summer trailhead parking and parking in general is, is limited in the canyon, that's they would like to see some kind of summer service, but it's just, we don't need it to reduce mobility in the summertime. So in working with the forest service, UDOT did not identify the need to increase summer trailhead use um, and therefore implement summer transit. In the future, if the forest service identifies a need to increase use at the trailheads, they can work with UTA or others to evaluate transit service independent of the EIS process. UDOT did receive some comments that the gondola and, and cog rail may provide a summer tourist value. 
although the gondola or cog rail are not needed to improve the summer mobility, UDOT is considering operating those options in the summer to the ski resorts. During the summer, the cost of using the gondola or the cog rail would not be subsidized, so the cost of a ticket would be substantially higher than during the winter. Yeah, so we have some mobility solutions going on here. We have some kind of interesting ways to get in and out of the canyon. That user experience is really important. We want to make sure it's accessible to everybody, though. So how would tolling impact low-income communities or non-resort recreation users? How's the EIS addressing that? As part of the EIS process, UDOT will be evaluating the impacts of tolling on low-income populations. In consideration of low-income populations, UDOT designed the tolling system to minimize impacts. First, the toll would only apply to the upper canyon, starting probably just before Snowbird Entry 1. This would allow anyone to use the lower canyon to recreate without having to pay a toll. Second, the toll would likely only apply during busy travel periods from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. After that time period, there, there may not be a toll. The other key point is that for those traveling to the Upper Canyon to go skiing, the transit option would be subsidized to make it a low-cost alternative to paying the toll. I should also note that the toll would not apply outside the winter season. Well, that was an awesome overview of tolling and transit service. Let's get into the details on bus alternatives. Now, there is existing bus service in the canyons, but Josh, what are we looking at for future bus service? What are the proposals within the EIS for enhancing that bus service? So, Lisa, you're right. There is two existing bus routes in Little Cottonwood. There's the 953 bus that comes up Fort Union, and then there's the 994 bus that departs from historic Sandy Station and makes stops as it goes up, and then ultimately stops at Snowbird and Alpha. And that's roughly 15 minutes service today during those peak periods. So that's what's out there today, but let's talk about what we're proposing in the future. So we're looking at two options. One is the enhanced bus service, And then we also have the enhanced bus with peak period shoulder lanes. So again, I'll get into those in a minute, but let's talk about some of the commonalities between these two bus alternatives. Both of them include mobility hubs at the existing gravel pit, just north of Big Cottonwood Canyon and the existing UTA park and ride at 94 South and Highland. And both of these options include 24 buses per hour. So again, I mentioned that there's two routes at 15 minute headways. So we're really looking to ramp this bus service up substantially. So if you divide those 24 buses between the two mobility hubs, that means there's 12 buses per hour leaving each mobility hub or a bus every five minutes departing the mobility hub. And this would be direct to service. So Alta riders wouldn't have to stop at Snowbird and vice versa. And again, the whole goal of this is to reduce the travel time for these potential transit riders like we talked about in the beginning. And both of these alternatives would include snowsheds at White Pine, White Pine Chutes, and Little Pine also to increase reliability to the roadway users, including private vehicles and the buses. So let's talk about the enhanced bus service for just a second. And the defining characteristic of this is really that there's no widening in the canyon. 
And honestly, this is really similar to what's out there today, just more of it. But again, with some important tweaks, those being that direct-to-service and just a much higher frequency. So in this alternative, buses are mixed with the general traffic. But again, you have to remember that under this scenario, we're shooting for 30% less traffic. And in this situation, one bus equals roughly 21 cars off the road. So with this option, uh, travel time for a user would be 54 total minutes, which includes 42 minutes in the on the bus and also 12 minutes to transition. So that means driving to the gravel pit, parking your car, you know, grabbing your snowboard or skis, walking over to the bus station and getting on the bus. This alternative has a capital cost of $339 million with an anticipated operation and maintenance cost for winter service of roughly $10.3 million. So the second bus, bus option is that enhanced bus with peak period shoulder lanes. So there is some widening in the canyon, and this would basically be adding a 12-foot shoulder both uphill and downhill from the high T up through the bypass road. And buses would use these shoulders during those peak periods to actually be able to pass traffic in the general purpose lane. So if you're familiar with what happens in Park City, this is very similar to the Kimball Junction to Park City route, where the shoulders are restrict restricted to buses only during those peak times. And again, because the buses can pass traffic in the general purpose lanes by utilizing these shoulders, the travel time is reduced. So under this option, the travel time is 36 minutes. And that's a 24 minutes on the bus plus that same 12 minutes of transition. But of course, because there's widening in the canyon, the cost does go up. So the estimated capital cost for this is $493 million with $8 million annual O&M for winter service. So Josh, I'm just doing some quick math in my head here. It looks like there's about $160 million cost difference between those two different options. Plus one of those options, it looks it has it's more expensive to maintain annually. Can you help us understand really what the difference is and, and why there's a such a difference in cost? Yeah, so that's a great question and something we definitely get pretty often. People say, well, it's the same bus every five minutes. Why is the operation and maintenance cost two million dollars more for the first option? And that's really a function of that travel time. So again, in the first option, travel time is 54 total minutes, but in the second one, it's 36 minutes. So again, that first option has a 50% higher travel time than the bus when it's running in the peak period shoulders. So to be able to get a bus every five minutes, because the round trip time is longer, you just need more buses, right? So in the enhanced bus service with no widening, we're anticipating 66 total buses, where in the enhanced bus with the peak period shoulder lanes, that goes down to 46 buses. So more buses equals more drivers, which equals more oil changes, more tires, and that explains why the O&M cost is higher for the peak period shoulder lanes. And the capital cost, that difference of 160 that you mentioned, again, that's really driven by the cost of the widening in the canyon, that 
12 foot lane, both in the uphill and downhill sides. That's a great explanation, Josh. Um, What about electric buses? I mean, you talked about tires and oil changes and stuff, but um, Vince, maybe you can talk to us about electric buses. Now, were they considered? They seem to work really well during the winter in Park City. The big difference between Park City and Little Cottonwood Canyon, of course, is the steep grades. And so how would electric buses you know, work in Little Cottonwood Canyon? For the alternatives analysis, UDOT did consider diesel buses, electric buses, and hybrid buses. Discussions with the UTA noted that electric buses may be possible for winter operations in Little Cottonwood Canyon, though they're about 80% more expensive. For the EIS analysis, UDOT is assuming diesel buses to consider the greatest potential impacts for bus operations and to allow any bus type to operate in the canyon. However, if an enhanced bus alternative is selected, UDOT will will evaluate all available bus technologies and their ability to operate Little Cottonwood Canyon prior to purchasing any bus. Now, Josh, we've talked a lot about kind of Upper Canyon, Lower Canyon. Are these new buses going to stop at trailheads along the way, kind of throughout the canyon? So, Lisa, the alternatives in our project are really designed to improve mobility on SR-210 or Little Cottonwood Canyon, right? So the primary users of the roadway in winter are clearly skiers. If you just look at the number of parking stalls in the canyon, there's roughly 4,400 total parking spots. 3,500 of those are at the resorts. So the vast majority of the people driving up the canyon are going to the ski resorts. So that's where we focus the alternatives on is getting the greatest number of potential users, the resorts users. So to make the bus system or gondola or cog rail operate efficiently, we need to make it as attractive as possible And that involves minimizing the number of stops. Again, the greatest way to attract transit users is to reduce seat time. And adding all those mid-canyon stops just adds seat time and makes it longer than it needs to be for those users that are just trying to get to the resort. So again, by improving overall mobility to that greatest number of users, aka resort patrons, the other canyon users, whether those be backcountry skiers, hikers, or people that just want to take a Sunday drive, all users would benefit from this reduced traffic congestion by providing the best service to the resorts. So that's why we're not looking at stops at trailheads. Yeah, but I mean, Josh, is it possible? I know there still are people that want to go up and recreate in the canyon. Like, would it be possible in this situation to include a stop at the trailheads while still maintaining the buses that are going direct to the resorts? Sure, it is possible to include trailhead stops. Again, it's just not efficient for the bus service that's trying to get to the resorts. And it actually inhibits the likelihood that people would make that transition. The main concern with mobility during the winter is skiers trying to arrive at those same peak travel times and departing, right? This is around the start and end of the lift day. So by, again, addressing the main users, the resort skiers, the recreational users that wish to travel to those trailheads will have much better mobility in the canyon. So that's why we did the bus service as direct, so that, again, Alta riders don't even need to stop at Snowbird. 
So Josh, what you're saying, if, if anybody's ever taken transit in a big city during rush hour, you know, they have those express trains and express buses. That's kind of the concept there. Um, but what about now, UTA has, has mentioned that one of the limiting factors on bus transit is travel time through the resort parking areas. Vince, can you talk to us a little bit about how the EIS is looking at that area of concern? The bus alternatives were first designed to go directly to each ski resort, as Josh mentioned. For Alta, users, this eliminates stopping at Snowboard first, which is one of their main complaints of the current bus service. During congested periods, stopping at Snowbird could add 30 minutes to those traveling to Alta. The second improvement is having only one stop per resort. For Snowbird, this would only be along the bypass road, which would eliminate buses getting stuck in parking lot traffic. At Alta, the one stop would likely be at the Wildcat lot, where the bus could turn around and head back downhill. Now, Vince, people travel to Little Cottonwood Canyon from all over the Salt Lake Valley and prefer to ride transit closer to home. Side note, people travel there from pretty much all over the world. We're so lucky to have this in our backyard. But why is UDOT not considering increasing transit connectivity throughout the valley as part of the alternatives? Feeder bus service to the transit hub from locations such as downtown Salt Lake can be addressed outside the EIS process by UTA adding or changing its current bus route service. Also, private vendors could develop feeder services to the transit hub locations. Without the transit hubs, regional feeder service would be difficult to operate because there are four ski resorts in both canyons and you could not have, for example, one bus that would travel to all resorts or even two resorts. The hub concepts allow the feeder service to pick up any skier, take them to the bus, to the hubs where they could board a bus to their ski resorts. If UDOT selects a transit hub alternative, it is likely that UDOT would phase construction by starting with a smaller parking garage and expanding as warranted based on demand. This phased expansion would allow UTA or a private vendor to evaluate how the transit hub concept is operating so they can determine the viability and type of feeder service from around the Salt Lake Valley. Thanks, Vince. You know, there's a lot of good stuff here. There's a lot of information. Just... Josh, any closing thoughts on the bus alternatives before we we end this and look forward to the next couple podcasts? Yeah, I'd like to go back to something Lisa said a couple minutes back in comparing these two alternatives to express bus service in a busy city. And that's really what we're looking at is really fast service with limited stops so we can increase the frequency of the service, but also decrease the seat time for those users. Again, when I described the alternatives, I went through a ton of information. I would encourage everybody to go to our website, littlecottonwoodeis.u.utah.gov and check out the fact sheets for more information. The other part is I wanna take a minute to touch on the schedule of the project. So currently we're analyzing the detailed impacts to the natural and built environment. Again, this is what an EIS does. And those impacts are being reviewed by the cooperating agencies who really have expertise and regulatory authority. We hope to release the draft EIS, including a preferred alternative early this summer. So keep your eyes out and I'm sure we'll have a good PI effort, making sure everybody knows that out that's out there. 
and that'll start a 45-day public comment period, and we'll have a public hearing associated with that. So again, keep your eyes out. We hope to have that released early this summer, and we'll do another episode similar to this one on the two gondola alternatives, and then a separate one on the Cograil, too, coming up. Lots and lots of info out there. I'm going to give the web address one more time. It is littlecottonwoodeis.u.utah.gov. And special thanks to Vince and Josh. You guys shared a lot of really amazing info today. So good. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. You're awesome as well. I didn't mean to leave you out. No, no, no. Of course not. I I mean, I I don't want to be left out, but just if you don't mind, I'm just going to, guys, we're excited for this. We want you to tune in for our next episode. Uh, Like Josh just said, we're going to talk more about the gondola alternatives plus the cog rail alternative and uh, lots of good stuff coming here. So stay tuned. Join us for our next episode. Thanks, everyone. See you soon.